there. I'm Caitlin Bailey, and you're listening to Listen Up, where we show you how to get more out of the music you love. On today's episode, we're taking a trip to Italy. Music has a huge history that was mostly passed down through oral traditions. In other words, someone teaches you the music and how to perform it. But this started to change at the beginning of the Renaissance, when the Gutenberg Press was invented. It was then that musicians started writing down notes and rhythms. They also realized that there needed to be more information than just what notes to play or how long to play them. They needed to know how loud or how soft to play the notes and how fast or how slow. Italy was a major hub during this period with artists and poets and painters like Michelangelo, Raphael, Leonardo, Donatello, and all those other Ninja Turtles out there. These were the guys that started writing music down, and because of this, it became the regular practice to write musical details down in Italian, and we still follow this tradition today. These Italian words are used the most when we're talking about music's tempo, or the speed at which it's played, and music's dynamics, the volume at which it's played. Tempos and dynamics are what help to give music its shape and its identity. It's what helps to make this Iron and Wine cover of this song. Sound different from the Postal Service's original. Intense tempo and dynamics are what makes teens everywhere feel alive. And grandparents everywhere yell, turn down that music! I think it's fascinating that what is loud to one person might not be so loud to the next. And what someone might consider to be fast might actually seem pretty slow to the person sitting next to them. Some of this has to do with what happens to our physical bodies as we age. Many people develop a common type of hearing loss called presbycusis from encountering loud sounds throughout their lives. Scientists at Ohio State University did a study in 1998 which proved that older generations are more likely to call something loud than their younger counterparts. As we age, our ability to hear higher frequencies diminishes, which sort of warps our hearing levels. We're more likely to hear the bass lines and drum beats of songs, meaning we're more likely to say something is louder. So next time your grandmother tells you to turn that music down, cut her some slack. It's not her fault that she's hearing the music at a different dynamic level than you. The frame of music's dynamics revolves around two words, piano and forte. Piano translates from Italian as a few different words, and you need the word's context to figure out which meaning applies. It can mean gentle, soft, or quiet. Forte, on the other hand, can translate as strong, loud, or heavy. There are different prefixes and suffixes to piano and forte that help describe how forte or piano to play. For example, adding isimo onto the end of the words makes it extra. So a pianissimo piece is extra soft, while an extra loud spot would be marked fortissimo. 
some composers, like Tchaikovsky, go a little nuts with this and would mark a certain passage as fortissa, isa, 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 isimo. Similarly, adding the word mezzo in front of these dynamic markings brings the word more to the middle, mezzo piano or mezzo forte. Another interesting thing to consider with dynamics is how they change. Did you know that the instrument named piano is actually short for pianoforte? And the pianoforte is, thankfully, shortened from its original name, Gravicimbalo col piano e forte. The modern version of this instrument was invented somewhere around 1700. This was actually a huge turning point in music history, for the piano and for dynamics. Before this time period, performers used a harpsichord or a clavichord, which makes sounds by plucking a string, as opposed to a piano, which hits the string with a hammer. There were very little dynamic options on the harpsichord and clavichord, and the only way to play loud or soft was to push a pedal. In other words, it didn't matter how hard or how soft you hit the actual keyboard. It was all going to play at the same volume, and the way music was written down at the time reflects this. So imagine Antonio Vivaldi, an Italian composer from right around 1700, rocking out on his harpsichord while writing music. Because he was working on the harpsichord, he would have been using what we called terraced dynamics, where the dynamic stays the same for at least a whole phrase. This influenced the way that he wrote music down. For example, listen to his well-known piece for strings, Spring from the Four Seasons, and notice how it starts off forte and then changes to piano suddenly. But after the gravicimbalo col piano e forte, aka piano, was invented, composers got a new sound in their ear and began writing music that had gradual dynamic changes in it. When music moves from soft to loud, we call this a crescendo. And when music goes from forte to piano, we call it a decrescendo. Listen to this piece that was written less than 200 years later by Johannes Brahms. Do you hear all the different levels of volume and how the line grew from piano to forte as it went on? Nowadays, we're pretty used to all types of dynamic levels. I personally find more terrace dynamics in pop music. For example, let's skim over Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Let's call the beginning piano. If I should stay, I would only in your way. The first time that the verse is sung, though, she ups that volume to a solid mezzo forte, at least. And I will always love you. She maintains that level up right until before the climax of the song, where there's a few seconds of silence making our brains go, now what? And then the full fortissimo blast of Goosebump-producing Whitney. Let's shift our ears now to how fast the music is 
which we call the tempo. We explored the concept of the beat in our second Listen Up episode, which focused on rhythm and meter. As a reminder, the beat is the most basic, constant pulse. The tempo tells us how fast that pulse should be. In the pop music world, we use the phrase beats per minute, or BPM, to tell us how many beats we will hear in a minute. The higher the number, the faster the pulse. So for example, a clock ticks at 60 BPM, or 60 beats per minute. A few studies have all shown that aspects of our lives seem to operate at the same basic pulse. For example, one study first done in Brazil, and then later reproduced at Rutgers University, found that music written after 1940 seems to average out at about 120 beats per minute. To hear that pulse, here's a few songs that have that number attached to them. interesting thing is that this also seems to translate into other parts of our lives. A 2005 study attached a device to baseball hats and recorded people's linear head movements to see if they could figure out how often people move their bodies. The result showed a highly tuned resonant frequency of human locomotion at 120 BPM with no evidence of correlation to gender, age, height, weight, or body mass index. In other words, we all seem to run at 120 beats per minute in our everyday lives, no matter the task. Tempo is also really important if you're a dancer. For example, in Irish step dancing, tempo can be a bit tricky. You'd think that more advanced dancers would dance at a faster pace, but beginning dancers actually start their training at a faster tempo. When they reach a certain level, the dances actually slow down. This allows more clicks and steps in between the beats. Take a listen to this beginning dancer dancing a hornpipe at somewhere around 96 BPM. Now listen to this older dancer dancing at about 72 BPM. It might sound faster, but it's really just her dancing that's faster, not the music. Next time you meet an Irish dancer, ask him or her what BPM they're working on. In the classical music world, composers will give instructions and tempos in numbers, words, or both together. This is where your Italian language skills will really come into play. Here are some well-known tempo markings that composers use. There's adagio, which means slowly or at ease, and indicates 65 to 70 beats per minute. Here's a Samuel Barber piece called Adagio for Strings. There's andante, which means moderately slow, and indicates 75 to 85 beats per minute. Here's the second movement of Brahms's fourth symphony, which he marked to be played andante.
allegro means fast and cheerful at roughly 120 beats per minute. Listen to this Vivaldi concerto for two trumpets, which is marked allegro. Vivace means the piece is lively at about 170 beats per minute. Beethoven's first movement of his seventh symphony is marked at this tempo. Tempo is also extremely dependent on the time period and the conductor performing the piece. This can have big implications for how we interpret a piece of music. Beethoven is one composer that has always had a huge cloud around his tempo markings and how we should interpret them. Do you remember this famous Beethoven piece? That was from the fourth movement of Beethoven's Symphony No. 9, or more famously, his Ode to Joy. These lyrics talk about transcending our differences of nationalities, races, and communities to celebrate our humanity. It was played at the fall of the Berlin Wall and countless Olympic ceremonies. Right after that famous melody is introduced by the chorus as a whole, the dynamics get soft and a new section is introduced. Beethoven labeled it a la marcha, which translates as in the style of a march. Believe it or not, this section is one of the most hotly debated musical sections for music history. What makes it so controversial? The tempo marking. It all goes back to Beethoven's nephew named Carl. Carl was the son of Beethoven's brother, Casper. Casper died when Carl was in his early teens, and Beethoven fought for custody over Carl. He fought for years and finally won, and Carl moved in with him. Beethoven had been training him for music for most of his life, but really started pressuring Carl to take music seriously. Poor Carl was not interested in music, and according to his teachers, wasn't very talented anyways. But Carl still helped his uncle write down his music and helped to copy it and keep it in order. Music historians, upon finding the original scores and manuscripts for Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, discovered a note from Carl saying that the tempo of this a la marcia section should be played at 84. The problem was, Carl didn't notate what kind of note should get the beat. In other words, should each beat fall at 84 BPM, or should each bar be played at 84 BPM? The mystery of this tempo marking has stirred lots of controversy. The difference in tempo markings is pretty startling. Here's the tempo that most conductors have decided to take, which is somewhere around 100 BPM. Take a listen. But noted musicologist and conductor Benjamin Zander writes that this wasn't Beethoven's intention. The end of this whole symphony is marked prestissimo, meaning, well, really fast. Why would Beethoven slow down that much before the section? Instead, he argues that Carl should have written down that each measure should get the pulse of 84 BPM, meaning this section is actually twice as fast. To prove his point, he actually had the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra record all of the Ninth Symphony using the tempo markings that Beethoven had written. Take a listen to that same section with Xander conducting. The difference is pretty amazing.
So what do you think? It's a huge difference, proving just how much tempo and dynamics can make a difference in the interpretation of a piece of music. Next time you're listening to a cover of a song, ask yourself how the new version differs from the old. Is it simply just a stylistic difference? Or do the new version's tempo and dynamics help make it sound fresh too? Well, thanks for spending your time with me exploring some great examples of how tempo and dynamics help shape music into something bigger than just notes on a paper. Join us next time as we head down to the Big Easy. Listen Up is produced by Nelson Vandenberg and Katie Russo and presented by the New Haven Symphony Orchestra in partnership with the University of New Haven and WNHU 88.7 FM. For more, visit newhavensymphony.org.